Welcome to the Drive Able Podcast, where each episode you get to listen to two of Australia's leading professionals in the area of driving and community mobility for people with disabilities. In each episode, they interview drivers, carers, and industry experts and share the insider's guide to driving with a disability. Here are your hosts, Brad and Ollie. Welcome to the Drivable Podcast. I'm Elliot Barian, and over here with me is Brad Williams. Today we are talking about what it is involved to be a driver, a trained OT, and specialized motor driving instructor with Brad. Uh, it's a special one today, and as we know, he is the CEO of Williams OT, but also on the National Driving Task Force and driver interest groups in South Australia. You guys all ready for this, Brad? You ready? Yeah, you're going you're gonna to pound me with questions. I can feel it, but I'm ready. Let's do I'm it. Excited. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone. I'm really excited to get into today's interview. But before we get started, we just wanted a quick shout out to our sponsors who make this show possible, Mobility Engineering and Williams OT. This show takes time and money to put together, and we are forever grateful to their passion for our industry. Okay, enough of the business. Let's get into the interview. Today, we have a special interview. Last week, Brad interviewed me and my positions within the industry as an engineer and a modifier. And today, we're reversing the hats. And today, I get to interview Brad. So, Brad, g'day. How are you going? Oh, I'm all right. I'm nervous. What do you got for me? That's good. <laughs> uh, let's get into it. First thing is, um, let's start by a brief. We all know you're an OT, and we've spoken from in the first episode about detailed history. But a quick little refresher and history about, um, I guess, what you do. You're, you are an OT, but you said also driving instructor. So explain a little bit, I guess, about that. Yeah, okay, no worries. So um, I used to work for uh, a state-run hospital uh, here in South Australia, the Repatriation General Hospital, as my first position out of university as an occupational therapist. But straight away, I fell in love with the driving clinic that was running there. And I just knew that that's where I had to be. And I hounded the uh, managing OTs there until I, they could train me to become a, a driver trained OT. Uh, and then I was hooked. I, was, I loved it from then on. And uh, it's, it's what I do. It is what I, it, you know, when somebody says, what do you do? It's all about. OT. Uh, I think the kids come after that. Don't tell the kids that, but I, <laughs> it's all, it's my passion. It's my area of interest. It's everything I live and breathe uh, other than, and the kids and my wife, I, I will put them in there. Um, but outside of that, that's what I, that's what I do. Um, awesome. Started my own business in 2011 and uh, became a, a driving instructor in 2013 uh, became trained in heavy vehicles around that time as well. And yeah, I took off from there and, and now run a, uh, a fairly established business here in South Australia doing modifications as well as driving instructor and, and the OT side of it all. Yeah, that's really awesome. And um, for those people out there, check out Brad's uh, social channels as well. He's really great on the um, info, provides heaps of info and videos on that stuff. So um, lots of content. So it's really, really good uh, to check it out. Um, okay, so something that you actually mentioned was a really good segue into what I wanted to bring up. So you're saying that you're working SA Hospital sort of as a hospital OT. Mm -hmm. um, and from my observation, as you know, I've been in the industry for over a decade as well. 
Um, and basically until the NDIS came around, I had never even heard of OTs, to be honest. Um, and, and I was working in this industry. And that's yep. the funny thing. I was modifying cars and engineering. I never even heard of an OT. And all of a sudden, the OT is the most important and biggest celebrity that you've ever heard of uh, <laughs> post-NDIS. So, um, so I guess it's interesting because um, seems to have kind of um, sparked a few little things. First of all, um, first of all, one little question: Is it harder these days being an OT? Oh no, not harder. Look, I've been a big part of the evolution. Not not me starting the evolution or the revolution or anything else like that, but I've lived through it um, from when it was a hospital scenario. And there was also in South Australia, especially, and, and everything that I say today comes from a South Australian perspective. It might be a little bit different in New South Wales or Victoria and so forth. But I'll, I'll, when I talk, I'm talking from my experience in, in the South Australian industry. Okay. So uh, for other OTs listening, uh, that, that mightn't be the same as what you've been through in your states. But um, before the NDIS, it really was hospitals doing more of the dementia assessments and trying to help people with strokes, as an example, to get back on the road. Um, and then there was some private OTs, not very many, doing a little bit on the side to assist work cover and the work cover clients, the ones that have been injured in a workplace accident and trying to help them get back on, on the road. So we were established, absolutely. That driver trained OTs were, it was a course that was running. I mean, I did it. Uh, it was definitely out there, but it was, well, it's tricky. I, I happened to do my assessment just as NDIS, you know, my assessment training just, to, just before NDIS. So I, I can't give you a big history of what it was like beforehand, but uh, that's my experience working in the hospital. It was, it was less. Uh, and there's certainly a lot more driver trained OTs out there now, thanks to the NDIS. Yeah, and I think everyone in the general community knows what an OT is nowadays, rather than, um, you know, like people, as I said, I didn't even know what one was. So, um, yeah, so I was in the industry. It's so huge. Go. It's huge. Yeah, the NDIS put a lot of, well, not pressure, but they mention OTs a lot through the policies and procedures in regards to, uh, getting approval for bits and pieces. So whether it's car mods or home mods or, or whatever it might be, they reference a, an occupational therapist to be able to do that assessment. So that has certainly identified OTs as important people in the, I mean, we were always there, but it's certainly now identified in the policies and procedures as, yep, this is where we belong. And this is where, uh, where you need to go to, to get to the next step. In being being a um, modifier, um, as I said before, like as we interviewed last week, it's interesting because we it seems to be that um, when we have a person that's funding themselves um, for their own product, mm -hmm. they seem to feel like using an OT is optional. Mm -hmm. um, but when there is NDIS, it seems to me that you have to use an OT in order to obtain funding. So I guess on that vein, uh, you can touch a little bit about that um, and how and which part do you fit into the NDIS? Yeah, uh, really interesting. I mean, we literally had this case yesterday, an older client who's had his license for 18 odd years, 
uh, the old twist grip motorbike style hand controls, bought himself a new car, rocked up uh, to the modifying side of, of bits and pieces and said, I want to replace these. And uh, now nah, I don't want to deal with NDIS. I'm just going to pay for it and wanted to upgrade to a completely different set of hand controls. So trying to give advice without giving advice uh, based on experience rather than being an OT gets a little bit uh, tricky through that, through that period. So um, it's, it's absolutely right. When you're privately paying, you can, as long as your license represents what you need, then you can upgrade to newer technology if you're private paying. But the NDIS is a little bit different. They want to have it assessed to make sure it's good value for money. And that's what it's mainly all about in the NDIS policies, that it's been assessed to meet your functional needs. So yes, this isn't going to cause you further injuries or it's the right product for you and it's the right product because uh, whatever those reasons are. And that's where the NDIS have made it important to, for you to see an, an OT. They, they want to see that it's value for money and that it's not going to sit there, one, being wasted or two, spend thousands and thousands of dollars and then next year they need to spend thousands and thousands of dollars more because it was a wrong product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... If, you, if you buy your own stuff, well, then you're taking on that risk. Yeah, okay. So if you are, um, well, the first thing I might ask before we get to finding an OT is you said that you were working in a hospital, let's say hospital, which I'm guessing is government. Um, but what's what I've seen in, in my experience is a huge rise in private OTs, people like yourself working for themselves or working within a business. Mm-hmm. And I guess what that... Um, well, first of all, I wanted to understand the first part of the question is, is there still government OTs around and are they working with NDIS? Like, are you competing against government OTs? Um, and if that's the case, or and are there any like other categories like institutions of OTs or anything we need to be aware of? And if that's the case, how do we choose what, where we should go? Well, that's, there's a lot of questions in one question. Um, let me try and break that down. Um, Yes, there is definitely hospital-run and other government-run OT driving clinics. 100% there is. And I I believe, and this is just my opinion, that they've been dragged along for the ride. And there's certainly... I mean, the the Flinders driving clinic, which is an evolution of the Repat driving clinic where I was, it was just me. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I went from doing one assessment a day to two assessments a day to try and squish people in. And now there's it runs most days of the week and there's uh, three or four OTs in that, in that clinic. So mm. it has certainly grown over the same time, you know, the NDIS part has grown, but I think that's more education and awareness in the whole industry about OTs helping people with disabilities to, to try and be on the road. Mm. Um, so that that's definitely evolved. The difference between a hospital and NDIS is from my perspective, they or in South Australia anyway, it gets a little bit tricky doing the NDIS stuff in a, in a hospital. And we see a lot of people have their original assessments with um, in hospitals, and then they end up coming to us to finish off the NDIS side of it all. 
um, which means that we kind of have to start again, review all the previous assessments, which people don't always like, um, because we need to make sure that that OT's one done the right thing and make sure that we're on top of it all and we're making the decision because in the end, the buck stops with us if we're prescribing something. Um, but they kind of have to go through the process twice. So the, the issue is, is, is how the funding models are set up within the hospital about how much time you can invest into report writing and how much time uh, you can invest in getting out and going to assess the modified vehicles and you know how much yeah basically how much time you can invest in getting down to the nitty gritties so a lot of the assessments in the hospitals are still doing a lot of dementia style assessments the the aged assessments for the over 65s where NDIS don't meet that and uh, but they still do some elements of NDIS don't get me wrong yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more to the yeah, return to work without modifications assessments. It's interesting. Generally, when I've looked at, uh, even when I look at, um, uh, when I do the engineering, um, some states are government run and some states are um, privately run. What I find is this difference, and I wonder if it's similar in the OT space, which then can cause what you're talking about. Government person, their client is the general public, not just mm -hmm. one person. Mm -hmm. But the private OT or private per company, they are just looking at one individual as a client and then looking at the whole thing. I've found that generally speaking in a lot of industries, and I wonder if you might find it's a similar kind of culture there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Look, I'll be completely honest. The bulk of our clients now are NDIS. Okay. Yeah. So there's, there's, we get a few private clients, um, pri clients that, know that they, they need modifications come yeah. through through us um, and also a bit more flexibility uh, to be able to to meet the client's needs whether it's going to their house or or um, doing driving lessons in their area or or whatever it might be we, we've got a little bit more flexibility being a private company um, compared to a government where you have to go to them and do an assessment around an, a set route and, and those type of things. Um, yeah, we've got the flexibility to have the modifications as well available and cars and all that kind of stuff. Now, don't get me wrong, there's hospitals that have modified cars. I'm just talking from the experience here in, in South Australia. And, yeah. and even in South Australia, there's a, there's a hospital with a, a modified car. Um, the Hampstead Rehab Centre, um, has a modified car, they mainly assist clients with spinal injuries. So as yeah. they're coming out of hospitals to get them back on the road as they're, as they're exiting hospital. So it's, they're set up to meet different needs, but it's kind of restricted to a specific need. Yeah, which is actually a good um, segue to my next set of questions, um, which is effectively... I didn't realize um, that there is occupational therapists or OTs as we spoke about, but there seems to be an infinite number of sub-specializations um, in OTs. And, and how does that work? And, and not just like, I wanna talk about the specializing around drivers first, but what I wanted to know, first of all, these sub-specializations of OTs, to me, as someone who's not from the industry, Sometimes it feels like an OT's kind of just made it up and gone, oh, well, I'm a 
dining chair OT from now on, you know, and, and, and like, is that actually the case or is there actually like a list of subspecialties somewhere and people are actually specializing kind of like, you know, like plastic surgeons or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, so driving is seen as an advanced scope of practice. Okay. So that's actually been assessed as an advanced scope of practice, a bit like a podiatrist who assesses feet, but then there's some podiatrists that can do elements of surgery driving trained OTs have to do a university postgrad course to be able to get a qualification in that. Uh, and so you need to be, when you're looking at OTs to be able to look at driving, you need to make sure that they've got a qualification to be a driver trained OT. So that's a postgrad course. Um, and it's recognized at an advanced scope of practice. Don't get paid anymore from the NDIS or anything else like that, but you need to have this qualification to do this work. Um, that's that's another political story there. We won't have time in this podcast to discuss that. But uh, yeah, look, you need to have that extra qualification to be an advanced driver trained OT. Um, there's other areas as well um, that are seen to be advanced scope of practice. So you can, um, and then there's other areas that, are more recognized as OT role. So OT is certainly grown in mental health and that's a specific role. Um, we do a little bit of um, driving instruction and so forth for, for people with mental health conditions, but that's mental health is certainly a, a specialized area. And then pediatrics working with kids is completely different to what I do completely yeah. different. So you're from university, you, you kind of segue into different, different avenues whether it's adult mental health or pediatrics uh, but when you start doing adults you tend to be you can go off and do stroke rehab and then specialize down in towards home modification so you're right you just kind of start really broad and as your career develops a lot of ot's narrow their focus in on a specific area ot itself is extremely broad because what we are overall are enhancers on life. So if you've got an issue, we try to overcome that issue to enhance your life. And that's the general concept of what an OT is. And as you can see, that's, you know, fits nicely into driving. Yeah, got an issue. We want to enhance your life focused in on getting you back on the road. Yeah, yeah. That's actually interesting. It's very similar. Um, to the engineering field, you know, especially the automotive, oh. you, you start like, for example, I came out of uni, started, I was very excited. I could sign off on anything, trucks, buses, cars, disability, you name it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then I realized that the quality of my work was not that great unless I actually started to get good at one area mm -hmm. um, and just focus on that. And um, my guess is OT is probably very similar because we have spoken in other episodes about how, you know, you really want to, find that good OT that, that kind of knows the product and knows the area? There are some generalist OTs out there, uh, absolutely, that, that do a whole broad range of stuff. However, um, yeah, look, I might get shot down from the OT industry about this comment, but I'm brave. Uh, for the clients out there, find somebody that has a specific area if you want the best outcome for that area. Because there's no way I can stay across all of the areas of OT. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just can't. Uh, yeah, and yeah. being generalist across all areas, I just can't. You know, wheelchair prescriptions, seating specialists, all of that kind of area. I just, 
I just do not have the knowledge. I just don't have the brain space. Uh, you know, it's only a limited area that I've got up here. Um, it's, you know, affected by the sun without hair and all kinds of stuff like that <laughs> up there. But, um, but yeah, there's only amount of, there's only a certain amount of room inside my head. And if I put in one bit of information, something else has to fall out the other side. Um, and, you know, I feel my head full of driving in information, whether it's modifications or techniques or, or strategies or, yeah, all the information around driving. So that means that I can't stay on top of pediatrics. I can't stay on top of uh, seating specialists for wheelchairs and so forth. So I don't prescribe wheelchairs. No way would I prescribe a wheelchair. Um, I send them off to a wheelchair specialist, work with the wheelchair specialist to say, hey, for getting out and about in this car, it needs to have these features. The rest of it's up to you to prescribe to make sure that they're comfortable. But to get in and out of this car, it needs to have these features to be safe as a transport option. Uh, but that, that's it. That's my limited knowledge because it's all focused around getting out and about in a car. So it's really important to for people listening to this to understand that uh, because, yeah, it's to get the best outcome, you need maybe an array of OTs to help you get so a home mod one to be able to get you in and out of your home. I don't do that. Um, a seating specialist for a wheelchair, don't do that. You might need uh, a mental health one to help you in get out and, and help you live your life based around depression and anxiety associated secondary responses to your disability. Or then you might need a driving OT specific for that driving. It, I, I don't agree to a generalist OT doing all of that uh, because yeah. they're going to they're gonna miss stuff. And that's the same across all industries. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, that's actually, I was, one of the things I was going to ask, which you answered, which I'll just re-highlight there was, um, can you have more than one OT on your funding or your, you know, your plan um, or working with you? And um, as you said, the best situation is probably to have an array that are specializing to, to look at for what you're doing and, and potentially even get along with each other and to communicate and work with each other. And I, and I really hope support coordinators are listening to this episode because yeah. that's really important. You know, they, they try and find the closest, most available OT to meet yeah. all of their needs. And, you know, I, I, I've got a feeling that's where holes are and where issues come with prescribing bits and pieces because, yeah, uh, I've, I have to do so much problem solving when it comes to car mods and driving techniques and so forth. And somebody that doesn't work in driving all the time, prescribing something, you know, so it's, it, I don't know if you're going to ask this question or not, Ali, but while I'm on it, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about it. A generalist OT can prescribe anything to get in and out of a car. Yeah. So they can actually prescribe a wheelchair accessible van. So yeah. lowered floor, access into the car, um, wheelchair docking stations, tie down, seat belts, all of that type of stuff. According to the policies with NDIS, a generalist OT can prescribe all of that. As an engineer, that makes me very, very nervous because I just in the last 48 hours, I've spent a lot of time working on the compliance of this stuff and uh, just for one car and one modification. And it's very bloody complicated. There's a lot in there. So you really have to know a lot um, yeah. to be compliant, you know, um, for all of that. Just, just, a, just a van, just a wheelchair access vehicle I've been working on and 
it's pages and pages of just compliance requirements. So yeah, it's um it's 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 on there. So I'm on really that- I'm really passionate, and I you know I might get shot down in regards to this, but I'm really passionate about uh, recognizing special areas. Um, we're not allowed to call ourselves experts because of APRA or, or specialists or things like that, but it really is an advanced scope of practice and that has been recognized by APRA, which means yeah. that we've got advanced knowledge in this area. And that means that we're, we're trained around these areas. We've got special interest groups. We've got a uh, task force. We've got, it, it is a special interest area. Um, and, and it acquires a lot of extra knowledge because we're dealing with cars, yeah. road law, um, mod, um, special fast key, speeds, fast <laughs> speeds, yeah, life and death situations, policies yeah. and procedures for, for you know, regulations for, for you've spoken about it from an engineering point of view, um, and then the function of the person as well. Yeah. So that's a good way to segue to the next thing. Do you have maybe, um, two, three, or as many tips to find what you would call, well, actually I'll, I'll premise it because we have spoken about this in our podcast about finding a quote unquote good OT and a little premise or story I'll say is in my old life, I used to actually be a DJ in nightclubs and people would always come and say, play good music. And what I would say to them is, look, that's kind of subjective, you know, yeah, um, to an extent. Yep. Um, and I think the same thing would be with OTs. You have to find someone that you get along with um, in general. But is there any other tips that you could give um, for people when they're looking for one? Ask questions. Ask questions. You know, um, we, we get asked questions and, uh, you know, what's my experience in this area or that area or, or, or ask for the qualification, you know, just, just see if they've got the, the driver train qualification up on the wall um, or, you know, somewhere accessible or, or, or ask them about it. Um, you know, we sign off all of our reports with our driver trained number as an example of our qualification number. Um, so people understand that, yep, we're definitely driver trained um, and we're, we're not coming from a generalist background. Um, Ask, ask questions. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of social stuff. So people understand that we've got a lot of knowledge in this area. It's, it's stuff that we do every day. Okay. So, um, you know, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a way of, of advertising to a point, but it's also building trust that we, 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 we know this stuff through years and years of experience. Um, look, sometimes we have, to, we might learn as we go. You know, I, I think back of some of the first prescriptions that I did uh, way back when and go, oh, geez, I wish I hadn't have prescribed that. But that was based on the knowledge that I had at that time. Um, and I prescribed some, you know, hand controls, which I thought were the best, for that client at that time with the information that I had. And I put my hand up now that I've got a lot more information now than what I ever had way back at the start. And that'd be the same for anybody. So understanding somebody's experience in the industry um, or what supports they have in place to help them um, get the best possible answer for you. Because you might be dealing with in a country area somebody that comes in um 
you, it's it's okay to ask how do you know that this is the best for me yeah and they, and they might say that oh, i'll go off and ask my mentor or i'll go off and yeah and that's 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 a good sign what about if um and i don't know this was this is something which i found i ask and i just wonder if how much you're allowed to share um is let's say if i'm a person that's been told i need this kind of access and xyz product or something like solution um asking the ot maybe not for hard evidence but basically some kind of proof that they've actually done that before something yeah. like that um and they've gotten gotten it through so we can kind of get hey this is a similar case to ours like can they how much yeah. can they talk about that yeah uh Look, I mean, we asked this question of you and you answered it yes uh, last week as well in regards to the modification side of it or if your modifier hasn't installed it into that vehicle before, then they really should be assessing the vehicle, measuring it up and making sure. We are learning about new things coming onto the market all the time. I mean, a new... Uh, hand control that's coming onto the market right now is the Weigel. Now it's been around in the US for ages, but the Weigel hand control is coming into Australia and it's a new hand control and we're adapting to that, trying to increase our knowledge for that. And at some time we're going to have, well, we have prescribed our first one of those. Yeah. And we prescribe it based on the research that we do about the product the way that it works, the way that it's what benefits it has to that client. And then how does it actually, how is it actually used? And then consulting with the modifier to, to make sure it's going to fit within vehicles. So we go through a whole assessment process. I can't remember what your question was. I've gone off on a tangent. What was the question? I uh, was well, basically <laughs> asking if they've done it before. So oh, um, if they've done it before. Yeah. So yeah, no, some, sometimes you haven't done it before and you come across conditions everyone's unique. Everyone's disability is unique. You can have a stroke. I can have a stroke, but they are completely different. Yeah. yeah. Um, depending on which part of the brain, it can be in the same part of the brain and it still presents slightly differently. So um, you've got to assess everybody on their merits and, and how the disability impacts on them. Um, you know, a, a spinal cord injury, may be at a certain level and that's going to say it's going to affect this hand in a certain way like you might have wrist but no no finger function as an example and then you see somebody with the same level of injury but they're slightly maybe not severed all the way through and they've got some grip in their hand and that makes all the difference and that um and that modification is completely different and probably saves the ndis twenty thousand dollars maybe yeah yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. So that's a good little time to start moving on to the next kind of phase of what I wanted to talk about, um, which is around kind of prescribing. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, what it takes to be an OT, how to find one. Um, and now that you're with your OT um, or set of OTs, what, what in the prescribing process and assessment process, is there... Um, a defined time this stuff can take what do you oh. need from the client what kind of information what what are you what are you looking for yeah that's a really good question and we get that regularly especially from when we're providing service agreements to uh, support coordinators or, or participants or, or things like that how long is this going to take um and i wish it was simple 
and sometimes we have to ask for, for for more hours in the budget and so forth because everyone's unique especially when they don't have a car or they've they've got a car that doesn't meet the ndis requirements or the modification can't go into it and then you have to work through the whole process of making sure that the car is the right fit for the modifications and the and the client so how long does it take it takes a bloody long time you might see your ot for three hours at the start and yet they're billing for 10 15 20 hours worth of work so much work goes on behind the scenes and and i'm, I'm glad you asked this question because this is really important we do consulting with the modifiers we do consulting with the support coordinators the car dealers um the the suppliers of the modification so going you know not just with the modifiers but the suppliers as well doing research to make sure that the products are right fit for them but then also we're having to write applications for funding and it's like grant writing you know applying for grants you've got to write 10 12 15 18 20 pages depending on how complex it is on why this is the right products right product right products for the client to go into this car and you've done your due diligence and made sure that this thing is the right thing so ndis can give you the tick of approval to to go ahead with it all um, sounds like uh, you might face a similar kind of situation to engineers as in you might get a bit of pressure going what are you doing yeah and 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 what what, what why is it taking so long yeah. and you know etc cetera, etc cetera, because yeah. that's a similar thing like i did an inspection on a lowered vehicle and it's about three full days of work the paperwork just on the back back end yeah. of it you know and and if you're thinking about becoming a driver trained ot you've got to understand you're going to do a lot of report writing yeah, yeah. one for licensing and then two for the modifications and then the follow-up and so forth as well yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of sitting behind a computer but geez the reward you know look at i don't know if you're on youtube but have a look at the guy's face behind me he didn't even have modifications that's uh bruno we've we've interviewed bruno in the past and i uh and i caught up with him uh just the other week and and that smile on his face in the background there the rewards of this are so fantastic um especially in in the ndis world because you're working towards achieving something we're in the hospital side of it all sometimes you with the dementia assessments it's a lot more is this person safe and is it the right fit for you now okay yeah so they're it they're deteriorating and is it the right fit for you still yeah 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 now that's uh that's good um so on that, from what you were saying, and this is sort of what I've experienced and going back to what I first started with, the OT kind of being accelerated to celebrity status, seems like that effectively the OT is, is the central person to this whole thing, um, to this whole NDIS thing. Like it's all coming and going through that OT filter from the modifier to the engineer to the products, suppliers, um, you know, physios or whoever else is dealing with them. Yeah. Um, and as you said, writing the the report. Um, it's a good point. Yeah. It's a good point. And and you kind of you kind of right. Um, I don't see us as celebrities, but more of the hub of the wheel of the spokes yeah. um, to bring it all together. You know, the the communication between what the client wants and needs and and so forth from a functional point of view. Uh, working with the modifier and working with NDIS. 
Um, yes, the modifier then works with the engineer, but we need to know that as well. We're also the sometimes the person that uh, needs to understand, well, we do need to understand them, but sometimes we're educating modifiers even on the, on the policies around Australian road rules and designs and so forth as well. Um, yeah, it, it, the NDIS has put us um, as the hub of the, of the spokes of the wheel um, to bring it all together. And, and yeah, if I'm happy to live with that, um, we are kind of the, yeah, the, the facilitator for a lot of this. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's kind of, um, uh, why I was saying is it, is it a bit harder to be an OT these days because you have a bit more pressure, you know, from NDIS and so on to get it right. So, um, especially when they ring you back and say, yeah. uh, yeah, a little bit Why'd of a dig at NDIS, but uh, you know we need more information about this. We need more yeah. information about that. Sometimes we've written it in our reports, and they've just got to read a little bit deeper, or or um, yeah, it's it's yeah, clearly yeah. outlined on page you know ten or whatever. Uh, but uh, there's the getting those that getting your intelligence, experience, skills, knowledge questioned by yeah. NDIS can be hard to take sometimes um but look they're, they're doing their due diligence as well in regards to making sure that they're spending the government money the appropriate way all right now to move on to a little bit more of a uh, potentially touchy subject um okay it, it, well it seems like and and i think that it could be a a, a, a case of people also flagging negative news um and at the age of NDIS, but it seems like there is an increasing number of misprescriptions or products not doing, you know, not being prescribed correctly. And then people have lost all their money and they're kind of like worse off than when they first started. And, yeah. um, and, and it's easy for people to get very personal and say, no, this person had it in for me or they're scamming this, or this was a, something dodgy. Um, I guess, what's your opinions on that? How do you mitigate that? How do you not get fall into that trap? I, I think it comes down to the experience of the OT, like we've already discussed, generalist versus, you know, advanced scope of practice OT. Uh, a lot of the time, you know, we've had clients come to us with, you know, chariot trailers as an example, uh, where it just, it just didn't meet their needs it was the wrong prescription and it's sitting in their shed not doing anything and they needed a better solution um yeah yes there's a product out there quick prescription fantastic doesn't mean it's going to work yeah uh, it's about understanding the whole big thing nothing wrong with chariot trailers they're fantastic for the right person and the right need but uh this this person it wasn't the right need um the I think it comes, you know, wrong prescriptions comes down to doing a full assessment and, and really getting down to the nitty gritties of, of why, what are their needs? What are their functional needs? What is the car that it's going into? And like we said, understanding all of those elements so you can make a right prescription in the, in the first place. I, I, I have to admit that probably sometimes my prescriptions haven't been a hundred percent because we're dealing with so much, but it's the closest we can possibly get uh, at that, at that time based on cars and, and person and, and so forth and knowledge at the time, you know, I'm, I'm talking, you know, about my experience years back, like I've already mentioned, but I would put my hand up to say that, you know, 
it, uh, we do a, a good product based on yeah, our products prescription um, based on the, the, the years of experience that we've got in this in this area. Yeah, okay, that's that's big, um, big good tip. So, but on that note, what happens if you're, I mean, on either party, I don't know if it's different, OT or, um, you know, end user or client, let's say you're six months down the track and like you said, this chariot trailer was the wrong thing and uh, being involved in them, I know they're not cheap, they're in the, you know, yeah. upwards of 10 grand. Um, and that's a big, big chunk out of your budget. Yep. Um, is there re- compliance requirements for OTs? Is there um, comeback for the people? Can they get something back? Like what, what is the, what can people do if they're falling in that trap or even if the OT's done that and they've realised it? Yeah. I, I don't know is the an- real, real short answer. And it, it will evolve as the NDIS yeah. is still evolving. Yeah, that, that's going to come up more and more. When you're talking about multiple thousands of dollars worth of modifications going into a car, then the NDIS really only want to prescribe and issue the funding for that modification once in eight years. That's, that's how it's based. So, you know, when you look at the NDIS policies online, they say that the car needs to be less than five years and traveled less than 80,000 kilometers. Okay. And that's set up. So when they do the funding for such a, such a car that it needs to that prescription of multiple thousands of dollars of, of funding is only really going to be issued once for the next up to 10 years. That's what they're looking at. They don't want to be prescribing tens of thousands of dollars every two years, as an example. So that means that you need to pick a car that's going to last for five years. And we explain that to our clients. So they they really need to be considering this car. And if they can't afford a car, and um, we're going to have an interview with a a client um, coming up who's had funding uh, issued for a car that's done over 300,000 kilometers uh, because it's her pride and passion. And, and we're going to talk to her about how that um, process went about and how we, uh, how we work through that. But there's, there's extreme risk involved in that from an NDIS point of view that this um, is going to be funded and then next year the car's not going to be running and it's going to have to go into a new car. Um, and and you know they they we needed to work through a whole lot of stuff to get that funding across the line. It gets a little bit tricky, like clients with MS, as an example, um, is a little bit harder because they've got a deteriorating condition more often than not. It's not that stable, and there's a lot of other stuff that goes into prescribing for MS to say that if we prescribe this, it's going to one meet their needs for the next 10 years. And how do you prove that when it's a deteriorating condition of unknown quantities, but then if we do prescribe this, it can be altered for the next phase of their driving. Um, You know, so we can add to it or uh, do this or do that to to help with the next bit. Uh, And that certainly makes a big difference. Yeah, I think, I mean, on that space of um, misprescriptions and so on, also with being in the industry, just seeing it all increase, um, I have a feeling, as you said, the government, they don't like the idea of wasting their money. So no. 
No, um, who does? They are definitely tightening things up. And um, and so, yeah, you just want to be careful around that point. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if you are if you buy a pair of shoes, you can buy it online. And if it's 100 bucks, yeah, it's 100 bucks. Yeah. If they don't fit or they're uncomfortable and, and um, you know, it's it's 100 bucks or a dress or a shirt or a, if it doesn't fit. But if you're spending, if you're if you're buying a thousand dollar suit or more, you know, multiple thousand dollar suit, you want to make sure that it fits and it's comfy and it's you know the tailored or whatever to your needs. Yeah. You don't buy that online. Uh, you 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 yeah you want to you want to make sure it's the right fit if we're spending lots and lots of money, whether it's yours or the government's money. Now, this is another one which, um, again, could be a bit touchy, um, but seems to be as the industry grows um, uh, and you've got private companies doing OTs and so on, um, one of the potential issues that you have with the OT being so central as the hub is if things start going pear-shaped, in your mind as the client, you could be completely stuffed. Um, because you go, well, I'm stuck with this person that I don't like, or we're not getting no. along and everything's falling apart. And what, what can people do? And actually the same with an OT, um, mm-hmm. like if they've realized, wait a minute, I'm, I'm way out of my depth here, or, you know, or, or um, this yep. is just, we're not getting along. Is there options for divorcing on either end? And yeah. how do we go about that? 100% there is. Yeah. That, 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 that's a, a very simple answer. If you want a second opinion about anything, Go and seek a second opinion. Yeah, whether it's your GP, whether it's your doctor, whether it's your modifier, whether it's this, that, or anything else. If you're not 100% comfortable with the with what they're recommending, ask questions of why they're recommending that so you understand. But if you, you can divorce your OT, 100%. I mean, it might be a little bit more difficult in a rural scenario when there's only one in that area. Um, or one or two in that area, you, they, you, there might not be as many to um, move around. And NDIS is set up to use your local OT uh, because they, you know, the travel elements are not great. So if you're in a rural setting and you've got a driver trained OT in your rural setting, NDIS don't like funding f- for a private OT to travel from a city centre to come to you um, when there is one available in your area. Um, so you need to be able to negotiate with your planners and, and support coordinators and so forth to be able to help move through that to get make sure that the funding's appropriate, but do it before something's prescribed. Do it okay. before the money, the big money has been spent on a big product uh, because going back is is sometimes difficult and you need to prove with a new assessment why it's functionally not appropriate and that there is that loophole available in there so if they have someone has prescribed the wrong thing um and there is it's not a loophole but there is that available for the client for the participant to be able to be re-prescribed if it's the wrong fit or so forth um or if your function has changed yeah yeah okay yeah, it's, that's actually a really good tip, that one, too, before you uh, prescribe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, ask questions. Ask lots of questions and test it out. We, we, we say it at the end of every single podcast, set yourself up with a trial. Set yourself up with a trial. 
please set yourself up with a trial and make sure that it's you've driven with it for not five minutes, but you know, a good chunk of time wherever possible before before you you've you've yeah, asking for NDIS to fund it. Or yourself or work cover or whoever else it is. All right. Sounds good. So um I think that's sort of wrapping up. As I said, I kind of thought about it before we spoke and um, thought kind of try and travel through the journey of what an OT is and working with NDIS and finding one and what the process is and if things go wrong, you know, being able to get rid of them as well. So I think, think we covered everything there. We've certainly, uh, we've certainly gone over time. So I hope people have uh, found that interesting. Um, yeah. We didn't even get to talk about specialised driving instruction. No, we didn't. And, not, and the driving instructor stuff. So yeah, yeah. Um, well, maybe we maybe we actually come back as a and interview you more as a driving instructor. Um, sure. I think that might be a good idea. And the reason why is um, and and before we spoke with Brad, I um, before we spoke on this interview, I did mention to Brad that I'm happy to have this go longer because I really do think this particular episode will be very very beneficial um, to to everybody in this industry uh, as we've just identified now the OT really is that central hub. So everything goes, comes and goes through the OT. So it's good to kind of go dig a little bit deeper so people can understand a bit more about what's involved, a bit more of the context from either side. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for, for your time, Brad. Um, if anyone has any questions, please uh, get in contact with us. We'd love to answer any more questions um, around the OT process. I'm sure this might spark a bit of interest. So please fire away. I'm happy to answer anything. From yeah. that. And, um, Just go over to the Facebook page, people. Go over to yeah. the Facebook page, put your questions and comments in there. You can do it on Instagram as well, or you can put it on YouTube, or wherever you get your uh, podcast from, put comments down below and, or you can email them through to us, you know, driveablepodcast at gmail.com. Email them through to me. I'm, I'm more than happy to answer questions in regards to the OT uh, role within driving. 100% happy to take that. Uh, make sure that you, you press the like button while you're there and share it with Sounds people. Good. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, guys, stick around. Um, we're going to take a break and uh, Brad and I will come back with the uh, top three takeaways from this episode and offer a bit of analysis around that as well. All right, welcome back. In this section, we bring you our expert analysis and top three takeaways from the interview. This is where Brad and I provide our more than 30 years of joint experience in the industry, helping people with disabilities to drive and get out in the community in a safe and meaningful way. So I will kick it off with one of the top uh, takeaways, which is, which was a really good point. Um, you can have multiple OTs work on your NDIS funding slash package. Um, and are we highly encourage it because as we said in general, um, just like I just mentioned this to Brad just before we started, there is a very old school human being saying you can be a jack of all trades and a master of none. Mm -hmm. And it's best to have masters working on your uh, file rather than uh, jack of all trades, I'd say. Yeah. And uh, we touched on that driving really is an advanced scope of practice. It's recognized as an advanced scope of practice. Um, and yeah, it, it's, there's so many bits and pieces involved in prescribing for vehicle modifications, but also, look, we didn't even touch on it, but the other areas as well that don't involve modifications, um, whether it's, um, autism or, uh, intellectual disability or a vision issue or, a, or a brain injury from somebody 
whacking their frontal lobe on the steering wheel in an accident. There's so many areas that just as a driver trained OT, we have to have knowledge about. And, And my brain, like I said in the interview, my brain is already full. And when something goes in, something has to drop out the other side. And, and if I was a generalist OT uh, trying to prescribe vehicle mods, I'd be, I'd be questioning myself on whether I'd be doing the right thing or, or not to, for that client. Uh, and if it's out of my area, look, as, as it is with seating, where, where, like it is when it is um, pediatrics or, or we seek help from psychiatrists and psychologists when it becomes to mental health, seeking help is is really important from somebody that's got more knowledge than me yeah one thing i'll mention as as an engineer i guess this is something and and a modifier but more from the engineering side of things again this is where uh, i want to highlight that the sometimes what happens is ot's that are really good at seating um look at a car seat and go well i can prescribe this it's a car seat you know i can prescribe seating in a car and whilst seating concepts might be the same a car is a moving thing that's moving at 60 k's an hour and as an engineer there is huge amounts of it's it's a massive dynamic environment and and i guess just being a seating ot i don't think would be enough you'd really need to team up with someone who understands that automotive environment or get some kind of education around that so that's kind of what we mean is is just being generalist and going yeah i could probably do that because i've done seats before Cars are very dynamic environments and um, you're moving in all different angles and speeds and, and you really just have to understand that whole whole environment. Um, and it, yeah, it can, you can't get out of your depth. So yeah, I'll, just, I'll of, just do a little shout out to Steve yeah. Wilson seating here in Adelaide. Boy, I've learned so much from him in regards to seating, in regards to wheelchair postures and, and so forth like that. Um, stuff that I don't know, didn't know, and still heaps of stuff that I don't know. And, and we, you know, have teamed up with him. So get yourself, get yourself a team for sure um, of OTs, even as a driver trained OT, I've got a team of other OTs that are outside of our, out of our, outside of our business to, to make sure that we're getting the best outcome for our client um, when they need to, when they need to, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when it's not in my knowledge bank, we we go and look for other people that can help them for sure. Yeah, and that that's actually a great segue to, I guess this is similar to what we a similar point to what we mentioned last week with the engineer and modifiers is is sort of what makes that that good OT or how do you know you're in the in the right hands? And so this this is point number two. Yeah, this point is, number this, two. Yep. Yeah, finding that right right OT or, or or are these people doing the right thing or am I in the right hands? Because as we said, they are central. Um, and and you do want to flag if things aren't going right. Um, like you said, you you are able to divorce your OT if it's not going well. Um, and so some like you just mentioned before, I think is a very good point of what would make a good OT slash what means that you're in safe hands. Someone saying, well, I'm not really that good at seating here, um, but we can go get a seating guy. And um, he can come and do some measurements and so on and so forth. So like we were saying with the modification, what you want to see is them sort of processing things in that way, going, oh, I want asking to talk questions. to this expert, asking yep. questions, taking measurements, taking you, for example, like we're, we're a modification company 
And we often have OTs come there with their client and multiple times and go, okay, maybe this might work. Let's measure this up and get some other expert here or get your family member here. I think those kind of things are flags that um, that you're yeah. in the right hands. Yeah, and if they're not happening, if someone's just prescribing something really quickly uh, because it's, a, it's an easy fit uh, from the OT's point of view or or the, even the modifier's point of view, but it, and, and it's across all industries, mind you. Uh, it's not just OTs and driving. If someone's just out to make a, then maybe they're not out to make a quick buck, but to, to do it as quickly as possible, um, then that that should be a red flag to yeah. everybody. Yeah, they OTs, you know, years of experience might make me go head towards a specific product. However, you know, we still make sure that we are exploring or providing all the options to the client so they are making an informed decision alongside of us you know we might have our inkling that this is the better product for them but we need to make sure that they're on board with that and they understand how we got to that point um, along the way um, and see if they agree with us and test it and still trialing it even though i've tested it and trialed it with other clients a million times because like we said in the podcast every single person is an individual yeah. and uh and their disabilities are individual yeah and one of the other flags which i i've seen just through the industry is if you find as we said this scheme is about what's the right fit for the person in terms of the product so if you're finding the people you're dealing with are really heavily focused on things like how much these things cost and yeah. we need to get the funding over the line and et cetera, et cetera, and not expensive or too expensive or we could spend more money here or whatever. That's kind of not the right conversations. You know, they're, they're, they're flags. They're, they're kind of like, why are we talking about that? We just need to be talking about what do I need and how do I measure me up or get me ready? And and, and then that's the second part of the conversation perhaps. But if they're, they're thinking get it over the line and funding and all that, those are those flags which I've seen myself. Okay. I just want to touch base on this as well, though. There's some people out there prescribing the most expensive stuff just because funding yeah. funding is available. So yeah. it goes the other way as well. Just not Let's just prescribe you the cheapest thing because we can get it over the line and it'll be approved real quickly. You know, I know that there's some companies out there with KPIs, key performance indicators on how many things they got prescribed this month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and so when those, you've got those, that those as a KPI, that's going to be a big, I mean, you don't know that on face value, but when that's a KPI, you've got people prescribing things that they know is going to get ticked off rather than meeting the person's needs. And that's, that's a huge red flag if you ever see that. And yeah. uh, that needs to be further investigated. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's on that. And as we said, and one huge tip on that point, just before we move to the next one was I really love what Brad said. If you do have a problem, if you are needing to potentially look at second opinions, um, you know, divorcing your OT or whatever, do it before the prescription and the funding goes through. Because otherwise, as we've seen multiple times ourselves, it's too late and government doors can close for five to 10 years and you're back to where you started for the next five to 10 years. Yeah, you know, key, key point there. NDIS are looking to approve a modification to fit within a car for five to eight years and hopefully longer 
Okay, so that's yeah. really important. Depending on how expensive it is, the more expensive it is, the more important that is. Okay, yeah. so if it's a left foot accelerator for a grand or two grand or something like that, that's going to be easier to upgrade to a new car later on down the track, like two or three years, because we're talking much less money. But when it comes to tens of thousands of dollars, this needs to be the right prescription for multiple, multiple years uh, and, and the lifespan of that car, which is, yeah, five to yeah. five plus years, eight years is what they average it around. And um, as you can see, we, we talk a lot and we have a lot of information to give. And that way is, over um, time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's all good. And, and, and I guess that's kind of the reason why I mentioned that is segue onto learning number three. A lot goes on. A lot is going on behind the scenes. You may only interact with your OT or even myself, an engineer, for an hour. Engineers, to be honest, sometimes it's half an hour. Just take a few photos and have a look and, and make sure it all looks good. But then 90% of it is all just paperwork in the background. You know, as Brad said, they're writing 15, 20-page reports sending into, um, um, sending into the government. Just sit down and write 20 pages of gibberish. It's going to take you a few hours, you know. So if you have to actually put something together and consider all your options and all of that kind of stuff, there's hours of work there. And um, and so looking at that face value, I guess this is a little bit of a um, a bit of a, a call out there is um, give us a bit more love for all the work that we do behind the scenes because there is a lot going on behind the scenes and it does it does sometimes. Um, feel pretty tough when people kind of question that and go, why are you doing it? And this isn't worth it and so on and so forth. And, and we're working really hard behind the scenes. Okay, everybody, next time you see Ali, make sure you put your face mask on for COVID reasons, but then give him a hug. Yeah. Big hug. My <laughs> he, needs, he needs a <laughs> hug. But you know what? We all do. This, this, is a, this can be a challenging industry to work in uh, because there are so many elements to bring together. Uh, we, we spoke about the OT being the hub, but... We, we rely on a lot of information uh, from a lot of different uh, resources um, and we've got to try and bring all that together. So there is, there is so much that goes on behind the scenes that the client participant support coordinator, uh, LAC may not be aware of. And um, yeah, we, we, we do need a lot of time to do that. And we are investing many many hours in trying to prescribe the right thing sometimes it might be really quite simple and it's done within you know five five to six hours three hours with the client and and a couple of hours of of one report but when you're prescribing modifications especially big modifications like a wheelchair accessible van into the driving position and driving with hand controls and you're looking at lowering a floor into a van for a hundred grand and then you're looking at hand controls for maybe another hundred grand and you've got a $250,000 car on the road, that takes a lot of prescription and it takes a lot of proof and evidence that this is good value for money. So you need to go into detail. So NDIS will go, yep, I can see that you've ticked this box and that box and you've dug deep there and you know that it's the right modification for this person. Um, you've consulted with the modifiers, you've consulted with the ADRs, the, the Australian road design rules, you've consulted with um, the engineers, you've consulted with the client, you've consulted with this, that and everybody else. And I can see that all here in this report. And, and, that's, and that's, that's, where, that's where the time goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, that's a good place to wrap it up. And as you said, the time's been going. So uh, so let's wrap it up. And as we wind up this episode, we want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, Mobility Engineering and Williams OT for funding and helping us bring the show uh, to you today, uh, the interview with Brad today. Uh, Williams OT driver AXN Rehab is all pieces of the puzzle to assist people with disabilities reach their driving and community mobility goals. And Mobility Engineering is a team of passionate and dedicated people focused on bringing Australia's largest range of suitable transport solutions for all walks of life. And we're always looking for more sponsorship and more support. This is not an easy show to run. It takes a fair bit of time and money to run it. So uh, if you uh, would love to be a sponsor of the show, uh, please hit us up. And also, if you know anyone that would like to be interviewed or should be interviewed, or if you want to be interviewed, please contact us, driverablepodcast at gmail.com or look us up on the socials. Um, and get us just get in contact. We've got we're monitoring all the all the contact channels. Um, and finally, as we say in every episode, the advice provided in this podcast in general is general in nature. So if you have any queries about what you can do and what will work for you, get in contact with your local OT or mobility dealer and set yourself up with a trial. Trials really do put you into that driver's seat. Thanks yeah. very much, Brad. Yeah, thank you very much, mate. Thanks for all your deep questions. And I hope that this has helped people. So see you out on the road. See you there. Thanks for listening to the Drive Able podcast with Brad Williams and Ali Akbarian. If you like what you've heard, make sure you like, rate and subscribe. It really does make a massive difference. If you or anyone you know would like to share a story about driving with a disability or you would like to get in contact, find the show notes, or find the resources mentioned in this episode, you can find us on Facebook. Just search at Drive Able Podcast for more information.